0: It's not a case of Glenn Manton waking up and saying, you know what, I'll do whatever the fuck I want to do today. That's not the case. It's a case of waking up and saying, you know what, I know my values as a person. I know how I would like this day to play out and the sorts of things that will make me happy and I believe are are giving and, and sharing with the community and in particular my family. That's the way I'm going
1: to live. Hello. My name is Matthew Sortino and welcome to Moments of Clarity. Today I am speaking to Glenn Manton. Glenn Manton is a former AFL footballer playing 178 games for Essendon and Carlton. He was part of the 1995 Carlton Premiership team and forged a brilliant career on the field. Post-football he continued his athletic pursuits in multiple areas, including competing in the four-man bobsleigh team for Australia. Although Glenn keeps very active, training most days to get the best out of himself physically, it is Glenn's mind and heart that makes him truly unique. Glenn is not afraid to try new things. He talks about the need for courage and a you-only-live-once attitude to experience every day to its fullest, to really suck the marrow out of life. Glenn has bachelor degrees in teaching and education, a diploma in mentoring, and has worked in educational settings globally for over 25 years. He co-founded White Lion, an organisation that works to support young people at risk in the Australian community with programs and advocacy. Glenn's passion and purpose today is to use the power of story and personal experience to help young people learn to love themselves and in turn build positive relationships, which Glenn believes is the key to a good life. He has over 20 years' experience speaking professionally in an incredibly diverse range of settings, and I have seen firsthand the wonderful ability Glenn has to pierce through to the core of human emotion in an instant. Glenn has written multiple books including Deadbolt, Mungrel Punts and Hardball Gets, Tattoo Yourself, authentic and put your damn phone down, and is now in the process of writing another. You can learn more about Glenn by visiting glennmanton.com or following Glenn on Instagram, at GlenManton. Today's episode was the first conversation since episode six that I've been able to have a face-to-face talk. It really was a wonderful experience to be able to meet Glenn at his home and have a chat that wasn't through a computer screen. At the end of the podcast, Glenn invites anyone in need to contact him. I can honestly say that he is not just saying that. Glenn is an open book and will listen to anyone that needs to talk. We had a lengthy chat about life once we finished recording, and I can attest that whether talking to groups of young people or to the host of this podcast, Glenn is worth seeking out. Once again, thank you for listening. If you enjoy Moments of Clarity, please follow, share, subscribe and review. And now without further delay, I bring you Glenn Manton. Glenn Manton, welcome to Moments of Clarity. Thank you. Will I have a moment of clarity? We usually end with it,
0: but I'd love to hear it to begin with. Well, I need a moment of clarity. I probably could do with two or three, to be quite honest.
1: Yeah. To give some context, uh, in Melbourne, we've just found out that we're in a snap five-day lockdown for COVID-19 and a new variant and, you know, all these scary words and things. And um, after the 2020 we had, we're hoping that it's uh, just five days and it's all over. But uh, Maybe that'll yeah. be a
0: moment of clarity. Yeah. Five days just to get into some sort of zen-like pose and figure out the meaning of life. How did you go in 2020 with COVID? I survived. I survived. I was like a surfer being dragged out into the big waves by some sort of jet ski and then uh, allowed to try and paddle in and deal with a huge... Face of water and uh, the ensuing crash of the uh, the wave itself over my body, and uh, at times I was drowning, but I made my way to the surface each and every time and managed to get back into shore. And yeah, you know what? There are other people who just didn't make it back. So, how lucky am I?
1: Yeah, that that's so true. The many people that didn't make it back, whether that's um, actually didn't make it, which heartbreaking and then those that are still suffering the consequences of the the mental battle too. Well, I didn't, I didn't mean to head down that path with that poor
0: analogy, but uh, you're absolutely right. I can think of four, maybe five people of varying ages that uh, took their own lives during lockdown, I actually made a phone call to one of them, uh, not knowing that they had taken their life and spoke to a member of their family only to find out that they had taken their life. And it's tragic. It's absolutely tragic, and it's uh, it's a huge part of this particular issue, which I'll just classify as COVID nineteen. And it's one that probably hasn't well, not probably. It just hasn't been spoken about enough, and it's not appreciated enough, and we don't invest enough in understanding what people go through. All sorts of people on any given day.
1: I um, was having a conversation with some mates on the way here, and we were talking about the effects it's having on everyone. So some are talking about the loss of income, some that were supposed to go to Rye for a Bucks party this weekend, you know, and I was unaffected in a way. And uh, then I talked about the guilt that I feel because I had a 2020 that I personally was okay, you know, and all those external factors, but also internally. I was able to get through it pretty happily and I I made the most of the situation I had. But then the guilt comes from hearing so many people that haven't done so well and people that I know that haven't done well. And and I was almost getting in um, arguments, not arguments, but that, that idea of perspective, uh, you know, take some perspective and take some stock for those people that are lucky in this situation versus those that aren't. But um, everyone felt it in their own way. Do you have anything to touch on in that regard? Did you find yourself... ...thinking about the sort of anti-maskers, conspiracists type thing as annoying... ...or did you understand it? Were you Did you have your own eternal battle with all the different opinions going around?
0: We live in a, a world of noise and most of it's pollution. And I don't uh, invest time uh, in fools and, and foolhardy behaviours, if you will. Uh, it goes go as far as actions, words and everything in between... You've just got to be very, very careful who and where and when you choose to listen to. Uh, The most important person to listen to at any given time is yourself and some people are more skilled at that than others Uh, but the lowest common denominator doesn't dictate how I live my life. Uh, I do have my cake and eat it too but I work really hard to do that. Uh, It's not something that's a given. I have to work at it and I have to make sure that... um, my framework, my outlook, my mantra, if you like, or mantras uh, are appropriate. You know, I can't just go off and uh, fly in the face of everything that I don't like or don't agree with in society, but uh, certainly limiting uh, the effect of misinformation, propaganda, whatever you'd like to, to call it, which is just a huge part of the world we live in in 2020, 2021. Uh, is is paramount and COVID's no different to that uh, there were certainly days where I had moments where I became disappointed with media with the community with what was becoming the status quo but ultimately as you alluded to Matt you have to find a way to self-regulate and, and balance yourself and and move beyond that otherwise you will drown and get, full circle back to that analogy that we started with, you will drown. So for me, I just fall back to simplicity wherever possible. And again, these concepts are easier said than done or and or maintained. But simplicity, uh, regularity... And just a couple of uh, what you might call exclamation marks, punctuation points where you're giving yourself a break. So whether that's some music or some food or whatever it may be, some sort of socialisation. And somebody listening to this might suggest, well, how did you achieve that in 2020? How did you achieve some socialisation? How did you achieve a break? Well, again, there's, there's some wonderful music available to us via Spotify, via YouTube, whatever it may be, and being able to engage with that, uh, certainly when the time was right, to have a couple of friends around and enjoy good conversation, enjoy an atmosphere amongst friends. You know, these things are paramount to success in a time of
1: COVID or beyond. I think you're probably well-placed. Your your career and pathway has led you to sort of dealing with COVID and, and everything that came with it, but also in allowing, I guess, your journey and the power of story and, and ideas and experiences to to help people in their own lives. But that was prior to 2020. COVID came along and did you feel well-placed to use your gifts No, not at all, because
0: at the end of the day, I was financially devastated by COVID, as were literally thousands and thousands of people across this country, across the world, millions. It's not a case of a loss of money. It's more a case, or not a more of, it. it is a case of a loss of purpose. You lose your purpose and all of a sudden you start flailing and it becomes very difficult to recover from that. And I certainly had moments where my purpose was diminished, if not extinguished, by, by the particular circumstances of 2020. But again, you've got a pretty simple choice, sink or swim. Anyone <laughs> listening to this podcast is already sick of that analogy. That's fine. I am too. Uh, but it's just, it's the truth. And I find, Matt, that the biggest problem with all of these circumstances, whatever they may be, COVID, issue in your marriage, debt, uh, stress related to maybe your mental health, your physical well-being, whatever it is, the greatest hindrance to all of it is that we actually know what we have to do. We do know. We've known for a long time. You've known since you're a child what you have to do. You've read all the bumper stickers. You've seen all the quotes, all the bullshit that's out there. It's just really fucking hard to do it. It's really hard and it's hard for everyone, and you mentioned perspective, to their own degree. Some people excel in one space in terms of a recovery or an improvement. Other people don't. And we have this strange set of, uh, I guess, templates to put against people Uh, At times that we believe one size fits all. Matt survived this, so Glenn will survive this. Glenn struggled here, so Matt will. Well, we don't know. We don't know the makeup of each person against each scenario. As you mentioned off the top of the podcast, we've moved into a a five-day lockdown. Again, I am losing work. (laughs) I, I couldn't give a shit. Why? Because it's completely out of my control and I've already gone through the heartache and the pain of caring week after week after week after week and watching them all disappear, them being the bookings, the, uh, the opportunities for me to speak and engage and share with people that I do hold dear to my heart and it means a great deal to me. So even a moment ago with my use of language, uh, poor language if you will, it's sometimes important just to be able to get it out and share it for what it really is in its raw form. So for me, now, another deep breath. We'll get through the next five days as we did with the last, essentially, a year of our lives. We'll come through it and it'll be shitty at times and it'll be exhilarating at others. But, you know, bottom line is I'm going to swim. I'm going to keep swimming and I'll be fine.
1: I'd love to unpack your journey, career and and unpack that as an introduction to you but also that idea of purpose and when you found purpose Uh, you mentioned it and that loss of purpose was worse than the loss of money have you always felt purpose and a direction and and has that been a something that you've taken for granted or did you have to work really hard for it
0: no i don't take anything for granted i've never taken anything for granted because i've never had anything to take for granted i've always had things taken away from me whether it's by Uh, adults being arseholes or by me being an arsehole myself. So, you know, the idea that I've taken anything for granted in this life never been the case. I honestly cannot think of one thing I've ever taken for granted. Uh, As we do this particular podcast, we're we're recording from my lounge room, I'm covered in peas, Cole's peas, (laughs) as I'm recovering from my training session. I don't take my health for granted. I don't take my mental health for granted. I don't take this living room for granted. Nothing is taken for granted and, as I said, never has been. For me, my outlook, if you like, on on all of this is just just super simplistic and can be just summarised in hopefully one or two sentences. Hopefully I don't wrap it on. But I don't think we're coming back again, Matt. This is it. We, again, we spoke of suicide. Suicide's a, a final step. There's no step after that. And I see life in exactly the same vein. So everything I do, I'm trying very hard to do it to the best of my ability. I'm trying very hard to, to live like it's the last day of my life. And anyone listening to this podcast may think that I wake up in some sort of furious Uh, I guess, commotion, ready to take on the day and suck the marrow out of life. Yeah, I I do want to suck the marrow out of life and sometimes I am in a commotion, but other times I'm a sloth-like, other times I'm grumpy, other times I'm getting it wrong, but I still want to try and live well. I still want to try and get the most out of each and every day, COVID or no COVID. And again, very, very cliched, but I've got the courage to do that. And I feel like some people just don't push themselves to have that courage. I've got the courage to drive the type of car that I want to drive, have the sort of hairstyle I want to have, wear the sort of clothes that I want to have, like just do all these sorts of things that just make me me. I haven't felt the need to conform for a, you know, a corporation or for a title or for anything like that. My, my conformity pushes back to my personality. I'm very, very fervent about being who I am. And I don't take a lot of uh, uh, motivation and or joy out of seeing people be less than who they are. You know, you can see through people very, very quickly who aren't actually being true to themselves. So one life, be true to oneself, give it the best you have, bumper sticker right there, and where possible... Sucks a marrow, sucks a marrow out of life. You really enjoy it. I had my best, one of my best friends, I was going to call him my best friend, but he's, he's in a tie for that, that particular title. One of my best friends, 48 years of age, uh, had a heart attack 10 days ago F- through no fault of his own, hereditary, very fit, very healthy, <laughs> nearly died. And I was sitting on a beanbag, which you can see in this particular lounge room, stunned for probably... 45 minutes less than a week ago, thinking about my friend, thinking, oh, my God, like, he was nearly gone. And the amazing recovery from it, you know, just a simple, uh, what do they call it, a, a shunt or, or whatnot put into his heart to open up that particularly uh, previously congested area. So extraordinary. But
1: you just can't take any of that for granted, can you? absolutely not how would i don't want to talk for him but what was the process that you've you've gone through and he's gone through from from your lens now with that heart attack because that's something that is impossible to predict hits you like anything and some people may never have experienced that and COVID is that but you know for for him it's a heart attack for others it's something else a death or you know whatever it might be what have you noticed in this 10-day journey so far
0: well, I haven't seen him yet because he lives up in the country and sadly I'm not going to see him on mm. Tuesday as planned because now we're in lockdown. Mm. But he'll still be there. We've had a number of conversations since. I've told him what amazing material I've got for his eulogy when the time comes. <laughs> so we've made light of it. We've had a um, had a, a moment or two to to bring some clarity to the situation. As I said... It's not a reflection of how he lives or his health or whatnot. It's just an unfortunate factor of life. And if he wasn't where he was and surrounded by the people that he was, there's no doubt he wouldn't be here. So 48 years of age, heart attack, three children, obviously a lovely wife. Like that's somebody we don't need to be losing. Mm. But such is life, isn't it? So Glenn Manton or anyone else is not immune to that i could get hit by a bus tomorrow probably not now that lockdown's on but in in better times or we wouldn't call getting hit by a bus better (laughs) times but there's just sometimes i I think there's just a, a lack of reality from people that they just think that it's all going to happen for them and that people who do have a lot in brackets whatever a lot is they think that that's just fallen into their laps And on some occasions it has. But for most people who have a lot of whatever it may be, something that you're coveting, something that you're admiring, they've probably worked damn hard for it. They've probably sacrificed a lot, invested a lot. They've probably lost a lot. You know, Someone could look at me and say, wow, you've you've achieved so much with your football, with your sport, and you're still uh, achieving in that space. It's come at a huge price. Huge price. There's always a price to pay. So if you want something, you're going to have to really work at it. And again, going back to my my point, this is the one chance you've got to do it. There's not going to be another one.
1: Courage was something you said, having the courage, working hard and sucking the marrow. So working hard but enjoying that work. Also, it's bloody hard. You spoke about that people know or tend to know what they need or what they should be doing and, and just can't do it. You've, in your athletic pursuits, you've played elite AFL, tried to try your hand at elite uh, soccer after that, uh, bobsled, am I, am I right to, to say that? And sure. then into further pursuits and, and, you know, I can see you recovering now from and, and having a couple of phone calls with you, you're at the gym fairly regularly and doing things too. So you've kept that up. And then you've also had your, your other pursuits. You've been able to start a foundation, a co-found. Um, you've worked with youth in all sorts of areas and helped people of all ages, you know, get through things and, and push yourself there. And you're a powerful storyteller. Is there a couple of stories that you'd like to tell where you were able to find the courage, so that word courage again, learn how to suck the marrow... And also, the time that you realise that yes, it's hard, but those other two areas, you know, have to trump hardness.
0: Look, I was I was gifted a set of circumstances that allowed me to have a, a huge imagination at a young age, and absolutely no fear of anything and anyone, and that held me in good stead for a long, long time. So. I was the athlete who was interested in arts, who was interested in theatre, who was interested in writing, who was interested in history. Like there was just such a breadth to who I was as a kid and still am. And that extended to my sports, playing baseball, opportunity to pursue baseball professionally. No, maybe it's swimming, probably better at swimming than any other sport that I've ever played. No, we'll go to football. Okay, what about football? Okay, Soccer and then, of course, into bobsledding and whatnot. I've just had a very, very broad life, born of that early days, those formative years of just being allowed to play. I was allowed to play an awful lot, just play. And some of it I can look back on and see was (laughs) by design of my parents, get the hell out of here. Uh, Other parts were... Uh, with the hand of my parents, and particularly my father, just playing with me, playing with me, playing with me, playing with me. And it might sound strange, but just playing all this sport, surrounded by Lego, uh, not really uh, told what to do in terms of investigation. So I was allowed to stick my uh, head over a fence and see what was there and you know poke my nose through a hole and try and smell something, whatever it may be. Uh, I I just had that freedom and I had some very, very stark, memorable experiences, including one at my aunt and uncle's house in Fitzroy at the time in the 80s, uh, which certainly isn't Fitzroy Mm. of the the 2000s. Very arty-based people, highly intellectual. My aunt is in her 80s and she's still at university, so that tells you something about her and stumbling across their library in their house. And their library was just wall to wall of books, obviously, uh, scattered all over the floor. But these books were extreme books. These were books that an 11-year-old, 12-year-old as I was, probably wouldn't typically have access to. And extreme across every topic you could possibly imagine, every topic. And I'm looking at these books, architecture, design, horticulture, you know, cooking books, whatever they may be, books around sexual, sex and sexual practice. And I'm quickly realising, for whatever reason, and to be quite honest, you'd need to sit with a psychologist, I imagine, or a psychiatrist to appreciate how I came to this conclusion. But I remember leaving that library and saying to myself, one person's starting point is where another person stops. And it really affected my life because it just meant that when I saw a piece of architecture that wasn't a traditional Californian bungalow, I didn't go, oh, that's bizarre. I just went, well, that's what someone else has created or that looks quite interesting or "Or you know, maybe they should change the colour on that and they would look a whole heap better or whatever it may be. I, I just never took any offence in any of that sort of stuff at other people's creativity or my inclination to be creative. So... I had this grounding which just allowed me to be very, very interested and to have an imagination and a curiosity which probably most people have maybe potentially beaten out of them by, you know, a corporate job or uh, parents who say you can't and this sort of stuff. i, I I, you know it's not like I was given everything I wanted as a child. Uh, I certainly didn't come from wealthy family and and didn't have access as I moved the peas off my leg. I didn't have access to um you know extraordinary sums of money or brand new uh, x, y and Z, but I just did have parents who encouraged me to explore, and that's what I've always done, and that exploration easily 70 percent of it has been mentally just to explore the world around me and engage with the world around me so that's a good foundation for someone to be broad-minded have ability to to think laterally uh, be creative uh, be observant I would think that I'm as good as anyone at observing to have a sense of empathy appreciation etc etc so that's that's the young Glen, and then for whatever reason that all fell apart in year 12 for me. I went to Strathmore High uh, down on the Broadmeadows line and that year for whatever reason and we don't have long enough on this podcast to really break it down but essentially peer pressure you know, for, whatever, for whatever reason, a, a loss of sense of self brought about by being a teen, some traditional enemies of, of the age uh, I, I, lost, I lost touch with who I was for a, a period of time, probably six months, and that's all it took for me to destroy everything in my world. And I did. I destroyed every single thing in my world, including myself. Uh, I've managed to cut my arm in half. Not many people realise that. Some people would remember from my AFL career wearing an, an arm guard on my right arm. It's because I cut my right arm in half, like in half not pretend in half, not mosquito bite in half but in half and that wound both physically but more importantly mentally slash spiritually led me to the place that I am in today Uh, and it was a brutal, brutal experience especially for someone at the age of 17 who wasn't supported by anyone because he didn't deserve to be. Uh, It was a hole that I dug for myself that I had to dig myself out of but having a, a random English doctor who's been, who's been seconded uh, for some reason—I I can't remember the exact reason—but he's actually seconded and and finds himself in a in a hospital ward in the emergency ward talking to me about the reconstruction of my arm and telling me in a thick English accent that I'm a fake, I'm a phony, I'm a fraud, like using that language and uh, the classic. And I I struggle to watch English movies because of this. He said to me, I think you're a right joke. It's a very poor accent, I know. But I struggle to watch English movies because invariably someone says something like that Mm. and it really just takes me back to a time where I I just don't want to be. I just don't want to be there ever again. Like I really betrayed myself and I had to rebuild virtually everything that I'd formerly established from scratch. And I thought I built it better than ever before. I thought I did all the right things. But now at the age of 47, looking back, I really fucked it up. Like probably made things even worse than they were in many respects. Like turned myself into this... Uh, absolutely rabid maniac. I mean, one of the the goals after realising that everything had been taken away and that I had to rebuild it all, uh, as a simple example, which I'm sure your audience will appreciate, I promised myself, and I'm very, very good at this, I'm as determined as anyone you'll ever meet, probably more so, I promised myself that I would never, ever eat chocolate again. Never going to eat chocolate. Under any circumstance, I don't care what the circumstance is, I'll die before I eat chocolate. That's how focused I am. Chocolate has no purpose. You know, it's, it's an evil, uh, it's got horns. Don't go near it. Do not eat chocolate. And I did so for nine years. Nine years, not even a pinch of chocolate. Until one day, I basically had a, a chocolate induced mental breakdown <laughs> just in the area of, of confectionery. And I thought to myself, you know what? You're a maniac. You're an absolute fool. And I f- was flying through the streets. I love cars. I had a particularly fast car back in those days. And I remember flying through the streets to my then brother-in-law's house and I knew there was a milk bar on the way and I did a you know, bit of a handbrake slide into the car park and ran in there and started eating these caramella koalas and Freddo frogs literally off the counter. And the Vietnamese storekeeper came over to me and he said are you going to pay for that and I said yes I'm going to pay for it. I'm so sorry I'm terribly rude but I haven't eaten chocolate in nine years and he just looked at me and he said and you would be an idiot and it just struck me that yes again you're wrong you got it wrong nine years of no chocolate chocolate's not the enemy that's not the problem here so again it was a case of refining these strange protocols that i put in place and trying to better them and just keep pushing forward to a a, a, you know version 2.1 2.2 2.3 don't settle for the previous version let's upgrade you know let's do that that um that download if you will of uh, improvements and, and see what glitches we can get rid of. And again, if somebody listening doesn't quite understand the effects of not eating chocolate, that's me going to your birthday party, Matt, and you saying, Have a piece of chocolate cake with me, and me saying, No. Now, that may or may not have affected you, but ultimately it affects me because I'm pushing my friend away for the sake of a piece of chocolate cake. Now, of course, you, know, you don't have to eat the whole chocolate cake. You don't have to have four or five pieces. You might have two or three mouthfuls, but it's that camaraderie connection, that, that giving of oneself that maybe it's a piece of chocolate, maybe it's a coffee, maybe it's a walk with a dog, but you don't want to deny yourself pleasures. And uh, I spent a lot of time denying myself pleasures because I thought that's what it was, was required to pay back the, the misgivings. That I'd, that I'd shared with the world, including especially myself.
1: I want to touch on a couple of those points. The, the doctor, to call you a right joke, mm. it, what, I can't imagine the injury itself would have caused that. Was it your attitude walking in there? Was it who you were as a person? I
0: had no attitude. I, I said nothing. He just looked at me and he knew what he was looking at. Mm. He was 100% right. I don't like the way he said it to me but that's because I was 17 years old and, and in a great deal of pain mentally. I didn't need him giving me the, uh, the exclamation mark at the end of it all, but he was right. Uh, he, he delivered it in a way that worked for me and he wasn't the only person, or, he, or I should say he hasn't been the only person in my life to treat me abruptly and in brackets rudely to get an effect. And again, I didn't want any of these people to speak to me or act or command my attention the way they have, but it's worked and it's made a difference in my life. And teachers, doctors, nurses, whoever it may be, managers, if they have intuition, if they have some sense of empathy and understanding, they do have the ability to potentially go about communicating with people on different levels and in different ways in order to push buttons and get results. I don't know the truth as to why he spoke to me the way he did. I sent him a letter. I wrote him a letter with my left hand apologising for my behaviour and who I was and thanking him for what he did and sending it off to the hospital and never heard anything back. But it was never about getting his stamp of approval. It was just me needing to express what i had pent up inside me and and, and share an apology uh, that was appropriate at my end so we we don't know how our words or our actions are going to be taken by others and sometimes softly softly and sometimes you you need to have a bit of a sledgehammer mm. i do a lot of work with young people and i'm, I'm not against pulling out the sledgehammer myself but If you're going to swing it, you need to know what you're swinging at, you need to know what the consequences are and you need to be there to help pick up the pieces. And I'm particularly good at those three things. I wouldn't say that I've had a lot of help picking up the pieces in my own life. I've done a lot of that myself.
1: So you had to pick up the pieces after the arm injury. How did chocolate and giving up chocolate seem to be the right way? Was it an element of control? Was it... I was overwhelmed by all the things I wanted and needed and did against self-regulation that I had to do that and and was it only chocolate? What else did you give up or or do after that moment? Uh, We we do not have nearly enough time to go through everything that
0: was going on in my head and everything that I committed to but I just became a freight train, Mm. an absolute freight train and nothing got in my way. I, I don't think that I was a poor person, far from it. But I was just so determined to, to prove to myself that A, I can make my arm work again. B, I can continue to play sport. C, I can play it well, et cetera, et cetera. We go through the whole alphabet and nothing stood in my way. And the nothing that stood in my way was Matt offering me a chocolate cake. No, thank you, Matt. I don't want any. I wasn't rude about it. I wasn't obnoxious about it. I didn't scold anyone or, or condemn anyone else for having chocolate cake. I just said no. And I said no to a, a lot of things. And I said yes to a lot of other things that <laughs> I probably shouldn't have. Oh, yes, I'll spend an extra hour here lifting weights or yes, I'm going to run an extra five kilometres or whatever it may be when realistically I didn't need to. What I needed to do was just be more generous and softer with myself. But... I guess payback as they would say sometimes is a bitch particularly if you're paying yourself back and you're trying to work through the reasons why you did what you did why you acted as you did and uh, it took me as I said a number of years to get my head around that the gentleman that I mentioned earlier about uh, having a heart attack earlier in this podcast I remember clearly after I played my 150th game for Carlton, I went out to dinner with a group of friends and they accidentally, I say they, my friends, accidentally ordered an extra beer. That night was the first night in probably 10 years of friendship that any of my friends ever saw me have a a beer. And they were gobsmacked. So the, the person that is enjoying this podcast with you and sharing with your audience today is a lot softer, a lot more considerate, a lot more generous with himself than times past. Again, just came from two hours at the gym before this particular recording. It was enjoyable. I enjoyed everything about it. There wasn't an intensity there that made every single thing uh, a competition, a grind, Uh, something to be disappointed about if it didn't go to plan. So for me life just continues to get better because I continue to treat myself better
1: when people change I often uh, call it the buying of the whole package you know you you shed your skin but then oftentimes you replace it with this whole package that is not going to work and you can see it you know I'm into well not me but this person random person fake person (laughs) yoga now you know and I'm going to do everything in that way I'm going to completely deny myself from Everything I did before, and it's yoga, veganism, this, that, the other, but to a point where it's not healthy. Although those things can all be healthy, it's it's not healthy, or the other way, sport, or it's denying pleasures, or it's, you know, whatever it is. You would see that a lot in your in your work now. Do you do you notice that how do you change? How do you say to yourself, I hated who I was, or I disliked, you know, me self-destructing or what I did to people to push them away. I'm gonna change. But in that change, they're actually causing potentially more damage to themselves. Is there a, you've said kindness, being more, you know, soft on yourself. Is it just as simple as that? Is there a a message? Yeah, I think it is. Yeah.
0: I think it is. I think it is as simple as that. But simple in words, not Mm -hmm. necessarily in action or simple in concept, not necessarily in execution. So there might be someone listening to this who might need to lose a kilo, let's just pretend. You know, again, doing it the, the Glen Manton way, right, we're only going to eat kale for the next month, etc. Yeah, that'll work. But it becomes almost a, a cycle of resentment and and, and strategy and, and uh, determination rather than just there's some pleasure in it, some enjoyment in it. Right, yes, I am going to have some kale, but I'm also going to have a little bit of this and I'm just going to give myself a bit of a treat here. And if I do this and I do it, then we've got an entire package that works towards it. I did what I did in terms of the brutality of my nature to survive. I think most of it was born of the fact that I was in a brutal, brutal industry. And if I didn't make some drastic wholesale changes and become essentially the junkyard dog, then I wasn't going to survive. So I had to learn to bite and bite really hard. Unfortunately, you bite yourself in that process as well. So, softer teeth now, <laughs> a little bit rounded. The canines have been rounded off. Uh, just chew a little bit more. Don't bite off so much. Just be kind and it'll fall into place for you. It'll fall into place. And this is all advice that, again, it's easy to give, challenging to perform.
1: One of my uh, favourite stories that you've told and you've told it multiple times but is of your experience at the 1993 Essendon Grand Final. You've told it and people can find it but I'd love to get a, a take from you now and, and share it with this audience that something happened to you then that changed your life. Can you go through that story?
0: Yeah, it's a very simple story. I, I met a person who turned my life upside down and a gentleman by the name of Alec Epis, the Kookaburra. He uh, promised me at that grand final an opportunity if I would follow up with him in the form of a phone call to make me a better footballer and a better person and he followed through with that. He's a man of uh, 85 years who is one of my closest friends, a a confidant, an incredible supporter, uh, somebody who has just given me absolutely everything from his life at no cost. We met every Wednesday morning for nine years at the bottom of Park Street, Mooney Ponds, at a, a little reserve called Clarinda Reserve or Clarinda Park uh, where we would train ourselves or he would train me more, particularly uh, in a sense of football skills and mechanisms and we would talk about life and everything around it. Uh, nine years, 7 a.m., every Wednesday morning, it's just extraordinary. This human being gave up his time for me Time and time and time again. And as I said, he just has never taken anything. He's had huge expectations. In fact, let me reframe that. He's had fair expectations. Fair, I I take the way huge, because you should be honest. You should be loyal. You should be caring. You should be on time. You should present well. All these sorts of things. So... He's, he's been very fair with his expectations. Uh, some people would see those probably as, as huge. Uh, even turning up at 7am at every Wednesday morning for nine years, people might think that that's huge. But when you know that somebody is in it just for you, for no other reason than for you, why wouldn't you turn up every Wednesday morning? Why wouldn't you do that? And I've, I've seen that play out against other people uh, many, many times, and some people just don't do it. I've seen him offer other people exactly what he offered me and that people just don't follow through. And they've got their right to do that, but I, find, I just find it staggering. It wouldn't matter who it was. If, if somebody was prepared to give of themselves and ask me to be somewhere at a certain time and I had a chance to learn and grow as a result, wouldn't hesitate to be there. You can always turn around and say, look, that once or twice, three times, that's enough for me. But to just deny even the first opportunity, I think that's really, really curious. So this particular gentleman is just an outstanding human being who probably doesn't, not probably, he's never got the credit that he deserves from the AFL world uh, and or probably the community. He's just a very, very special person whom, as like most people who have sort of got, got a lot to give the community, whom we'll miss dearly when he's no longer with us, touch wood, still many moons away, uh, I know that I will. I will have a, a gaping hole in my heart when this friendship comes to a, a, a close, at least physically.
1: You were a self-described freight train maniac when you met him, though. Did he soften you? Was, was that his role or, or did he harden you? What, 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 was, hmm. what was it that he did? That is a good
0: question. I think ultimately he softened me. Ultimately he allowed me to be a lot more fair with myself. And that's about three years after cutting my arm in half that I met him. I think he's very skillful, as are most who play in this space, of making something look and sound one way, but the actual truth is something very, very different. So for every uh, every crack over the knuckles, there was three or four bits of encouragement and it was really offset nicely because as I said your questions are very very stark one it really affected me a moment ago when you shared it what did he do did he make things harder or easier no he definitely made it easier because his encouragement was founded on friendship you know there was real love and care there but it was delivered in a way that a package, if you like, that made it sort of palatable for a young man uh, to to understand and appreciate. You know, whether it was a hand on the shoulder or a, or a pat on the back, whatever it may be, these things actually count. They really do, especially especially with young men. There's quite a, a dramatic shift. You can you can almost feel it, a physical shift. In a man, when, an, when another man in particular, uh, not to say that a woman can't have the same effect, but when another man puts his arm around you or has his hand upon your hand, or, or for that matter, I'm, I'm a big believer in the, in the power of slapping another man on the chest. That just, that sort of, it's almost a primal sort of thing. It just makes you feel uh, very much alive, recognised, appreciated, and I think there's that kinship, that male kinship, if you like, that's, that's special there too. And we, we take that for granted and it, it just shouldn't be. You know, Women are so often more caring and more connected in that regard and I can close my eyes now, I can, I can think about the beauty and the strength and the appreciation of having a woman's hand on my shoulder, for example, but then to have a man's hand on my shoulder... I think because you realise that it takes so much, at least in historical sense, so much more vulnerability, so much more <laughs> real appreciation and care, and this, that as I said, there's that element of risk to it, and and men who are connected well to their emotions do it so easily, and it has such a powerful effect, and someone like Alec Epes, the Kookaburra, he always had his hand on my shoulder or patting me on the back or just offering a word or two that was equal parts care and rugged and pointed but also personal, he has a certain magic about him, still does.
1: That vulnerability is key, I think. You see it, mm. you know, sport, but I know you've brought it into your own life and family life and, and from the story I remember you telling with the students where I teach, the word love, the idea of kissing the idea of touching, of men, men being true to themselves and, and vulnerable and not, you know, this surface-level crap that we often see. And you do that with your work. You, you're able to get in there with – and this is the magic that I saw, that you're able to get in there with students that are there with each other, their peer group that they might have had a fight with, they've hated for their whole life, they've looked up to, they've wished they were, whatever, and then you're able to get there and break that down in a short period of time. And people are able to be vulnerable. And I had a conversation just the other day with someone that connected really well, a, a student, and um, he's reading your book. He bought your book. He said he had a big chat with you after late last year. He's now changed from walking around with a swagger and this and that, not wanting to talk to anyone, to just being, you know, I'm going to connect with you, looking in your eyes, and, and it's just transformed. And that's the the result. But the process of that, why why do men find it so hard? And what is your attack? What is your method to open us up
0: we'll start with the method because the method for me is rather easy it's a combination of education so I've got my education behind me I've got my degrees all this sort of nonsense because ultimately I don't think they make for a lot to be honest I've got my learned experience which I think is everything so the experiences I've had in life and obviously the mentors the teachers uh, the people who have come in and out of my life and affected it. Uh, and then I've obviously got my childhood experience, which I think is just enormous and not given enough uh, credibility and, and not examined enough, uh, regardless of what you're doing. that Your childhood has played an enormous part in who you are and how you view the world, et etc. et cetera. So oh, I've got this spectrum of experience uh, and and appreciation for that space and I've been working with young people across all sorts of different platforms, whether it's private schools or institutions, jail, you name it. (laughs) I've been around that many young people, primarily probably 15 through 20, thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of young people and presentations and workshops or whatever you'd like to call it. So that's what puts me in a position to share and share well. I honestly don't think anyone else does it the way I do it. I don't think they can do it the way I do it. They just haven't had the experiences in life that I've had and the knowledge that I have as a result. And I enjoy doing what I do and I think, again, that's one of the things that the audience picks up on, that you enjoy being there and you enjoy listening, you enjoy observing and that you are considerate to who they are and and where they are in life and what they're trying to achieve and you're taking the kookaburra philosophy if you like of i'm not here to put you down or tell you what to do i mean again i don't know what you label this podcast as motivational i i know but i know that i can't motivate anyone i'm not here to motivate anyone i can't do it It, that's your job Mm -hmm. you you don't want to eat chocolate for the next nine years well then that's your choice you do well then that's your choice it's all fine, and it's not my business it's what you want to do and a, a long a long long time ago, I gave up the idea of being a motivational speaker that's something I haven't tried to be for twenty years, and even before that I wasn't particularly interested in it. It was just a label that people gave me and people potentially like me so um, that's what allows me to, to do the work uh, that, that I do take such great pride in, uh, and it's, it's difficult work. People probably don't realise how hard it is to be a mentor, a teacher, a speaker, these sorts of people. It's very, very hard to do it well. Easy to be shitty at it, very, very easy to be shitty at it, but very, very hard to be a good teacher, to be a good speaker, to be a good mentor, to be a good role model, however you want to label that particular space. It's very Very hard because you're trying to package something that is going to appeal to the audience and hook them in, as you mentioned, Matt, literally in the first 30 seconds. You've got to come up with something in the first 30 seconds, the first minute, the first three minutes, the first five minutes that says, you know what, I'm worth listening to. This is a journey worth sharing together. Let's go on it. Let's see what we can discover. And the truth of the matter is, at the end of every session, I'm the one who's probably learnt more than you have or they have. And that's just, in my opinion, sheer weight of numbers. That's one person's story versus listening to 10, 15, 20, 30, whatever it may be, people's stories. So it's a challenging space, but one that's certainly more important than ever in 2021. And again, given these COVID times, any amount of stories that can be shared and used to boy other people is a positive thing.
1: The, the story you told was chasing, was it your son, around the supermarket to make yeah. sure he gives you a kiss mm-hmm. and that's something that you hold dear to tell someone, look him in the eye and say, I love you. Would that have been a, a possibility in 93, for example, of you? And, and Absolutely, yes. Yeah?
0: Absolutely. I'm, I've, again, I've never been shy with my feelings or backward in in sharing them. There was just that one glitch in my life when I tried to be a footballer instead of being Glenn Manton Mm. where everything went pear-shaped and things didn't make sense. Uh, So there was literally, as I said, 47 years of age, there's six months of my life out of that 47 years where I I wasn't comfortable being me. So, yes, sharing love, sharing affection, sharing connection – is very very easy for me it's hard for other people it's hard for other environments you have to remember being an afl footballer in the 80s in the 90s let alone 70s 60s whatnot obviously I wasn't a part of that space was a really challenging space I'm not going to mention to anyone that I want to go to the national gallery when I'm in the under 19s I'm not going to say that I'm you know, listening to this music or that music or whatnot because you're going to find yourself ostracised. And to be honest, by your teammates, I really couldn't give a shit about that. That didn't really worry me back then. Uh, It certainly wouldn't worry me now. But unfortunately, I'm not the coach and I want to get a game. And a lot of these men are just so full of false bravado and stupid – like there's a lot of very stupid people involved and – Part of that is denouncing people who are different for whatever reason. You know, they drive a different car, they have a a different way of walking, whatever it may be, it's just ridiculous. Instead of asking a question, why do you walk like, oh, I've actually got a really sore hip, oh, you know, why are you driving that car? Well, I can't afford anything, oh, why do you listen to that music? Well, I just really like it, oh, like just not enough questions are asked and not enough care is placed into that space. And look, it still happens, and it's not just particular AFL football. It happens in schools. It happens in corporations. The more conversation you have and the more insight you have and the more appreciation you have of those people around you, the better the productivity, the better the connection, the better the workplace, the better in the environment. There's just no negative to it. Yes, it does take someone with skill to be able to have these conversations, and not everyone has the skill and all the want to have them. But when you're put in a position that you're acquiring this knowledge, it's amazing how all the pieces of the puzzle fit together so much more easily, both for the manager, the employee, and everyone in between, for the brand. So everything that I'm talking about now, these concepts and so forth, they're not rocket science. But the truth is sometimes you get people who are just absolutely hell-bent on relationships and and good communication and as a result things fly and sometimes you get people who are just hell bent on power and control and they want to ostracize and divide and conquer etc etc and things ultimately fall apart and i'm like you matt and like our listeners or your listeners more particularly i'm taking credit for your podcast you like your listeners we've all had great experiences with people who have allowed us just to be us and people who've tried to take that away from us maybe the difference with me again i mentioned this earlier is that i just don't allow people to take it away and i just don't give a shit about the result if if me being me precludes me from making money or an opportunity or whatever i couldn't give a shit it just doesn't worry me at all doesn't worry me in the slightest
1: that me being me, I think it's – and and what I take is that it's me being me, the best me, and people probably say often I'm just being me, but they are lacking that courage to, to truly be them and, and to accept others too. I, I find I'm at my best when I'm inquiring about others, exploring mm. others, when I'm obsessed with myself or obsessing over myself, I should say, and worrying about, you know, oh, I'm, I'm shitty about this, this has annoyed me and I'm just on that. You lose – the present you lose those relationships and i catch myself doing that a fair bit i also catch myself and this is one of the reasons i started the podcast was being a hypocrite saying that i believe all this stuff virtue signaling you know wishing the world would be this way but then not changing anything myself and my exploration here is to have conversations with people like yourself and you can take credit for this one um this conversation but it's about learning, learning from you and your story and you've learnt from X amount of people to then share. How can we all try to get to the marrow, suck the marrow of life? Because, yeah, I, the, the vision I had prior to this and I had a mini, not breakdown, but a moment that I thought I'd never have as a, as a bloke that played sport, had mates, this and that, whatever, was I just visualised myself on a river and the river directed me. And all I was doing was floating with no control, no nothing, and that was it. And I saw the waterfall that was death. And I'm like, what the hell is the point of this? And then I realised you can, you can maybe swim to the shore. It's hard, but you can swim there and then explore. And you'll get to that waterfall eventually and drop. But what you do in the meantime, there's possibilities. And I'm, sometimes I fall back in the river and it takes me away and then I try and get back on. And that's my visualisation. And I think it all comes down to purpose, as you said, but uh, aligning what you say you believe and what you do believe, not just say because that's fake a lot of the time, but what you do believe with what you do and how you are. So when you say you want to be me, as in yourself, is that what you mean? The aligning of everything that's up here in the brain with the heart, with the body, you know, and with the people around you. Is that what you're trying to do?
0: Yeah, it, it just means that I am prepared in any circumstance, to be who I am. Now, do I get to be exactly who I am all the time? No, I don't. There's multiple reasons and scenarios where I I just can't be myself to the nth degree. To be quite honest, I don't mind swearing, as people have probably already picked up in this podcast. I can't swear like this at a school. I probably could if the school was being really genuine. They'd say, you know what, just go for broke. And sometimes I've been in scenarios where they've said you can swear. And you know what? It's, it's, it's quite uh, enriching in many respects to the presentation because it becomes even more real. Um, don't get me wrong. I'm not suggesting every word has to be an F-bomb. But it's just nice to be able to give those points of emphasis. So there's one example. Another example, and I touched on this earlier, is the type of car you drive. Now, you can drive whatever damn car you want depending on your budget well, even then, depending on whether you want to put yourself in debt or not. But for example, I used to drive a 1958 FC Holden. I used to drive that every single day for five years. And people would always say to me, you can't drive that. Well, you can't drive that car. And I'd always say, but, but why not? Oh, but you just, you just can't drive it. Yeah, but, but why yeah, but, but shouldn't you be getting a more reliable car? Well, it starts first time every time. But shouldn't you be getting a car that's safer? Well, that could be a point. But you know what? You're getting in an accident, people are probably going to get hurt no matter what sort of car you drive. Shouldn't you be getting a car that's more economic? Well, the thing runs on a smell of an oily rag, blah, blah, blah. Like, What was the reason? It was because it made them feel uncomfortable about driving the Toyota Camry? Mm. Why? You're, you chose to drive the Toyota Camry, that's fine, no problem. Go and enjoy your car. For me, my car, that FC Holden and, and every car that I've owned because I, I do love automobiles and I, I do love different sorts of cars, it's all about the, where I'm going, like the adventure. Where, where's this car going to take me? What, what am I going to come across as a result of this car? So I think people get it back to the front and they just want to pull other people down to make themselves feel super comfortable uh, honestly I'd love to get my nose pierced again I'd love to get my, pier- uh, my septum uh, pierced again I probably can't do it because of you know <laughs> just upsetting the apple cart so yeah you've got to play a little bit of a game there like I can't do certain things that I would like to do you know you look at somebody with a huge number of facial tattoos which has become quite a thing uh, over the last probably 10 years would I like a facial tattoo? no but if I wanted to get one would I get one? Probably not because it's probably just not going to fly in a school. You know, I feel like I'm pushing boundaries in the educational space as it is. And rightly so, there are boundaries that need to be pushed there in a a huge way. But you've, you've got to know where the ledge is and you've got to be able to walk along it and make sure you don't fall off it. So, you know, all of us probably would like to have a day where we walk naked through coals. It ain't going to happen because it's going to be offensive for everyone else. So it's not a case of Glenn Manton waking up and saying, you know what, I'll do whatever the fuck I want to do today. That's not the case or it's a case of waking up and saying, you know what, I know my values as a person, I know how I would like this day to play out and the sorts of things that will make me happy and I believe are are giving and, and sharing with the community and in particular my family, that's the way I'm going to live. And again, you mentioned it earlier, whether that's hugging someone, kissing someone, listening to someone, observing something, giving something to someone else, these are all the starting points. You know the little bits of flair as to whether you're wearing a funny pair of pants or a funny hat. That's just a little bit of fluff on the side that, that makes you feel particularly comfortable. Uh, I mean, a really good person for anyone listening to this podcast to investigate, in my opinion, is a Lenny Kravitz. Now, Lenny Kravitz is, I think, from memory, at least ten years older than me, so he's approaching sixty. The guy, what the hell is he wearing? what the hell's this jewelry he's got? what the hell's the music he's playing it's amazing cuz he's just being him mm. and and there's no one well i don't think no one's got an issue with it cuz he's just so comfortable being him and if being you is wearing a you know a plaid shirt and 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 gray pants and lace up shoes that's fine that's go for it do that be you that's terrific but don't have any fucking regrets when you're on your deathbed and you think, shit, I wish, I wish I just did it differently. I wish I did it like this. And as I said, whether you're wearing a plaid shirt or like any Lenny Kravitz, you've got your chest bare wearing a leather jacket, that's just, that's fluff. I'm talking more about the conversations we should have had, the relationships we should have had, the things that we should have done. You know, I raced a bobsled for Australia. Failed. Failed, not good enough. We didn't qualify for the Olympics, but I still raced on the World Cup circuit, which is essentially the, the highest level you can race. I had some incredible adventures. I made some unbelievable friends. I learned a lot about myself. And I actually, again, given the fact that we were talking earlier about what I've just been doing today prior to this podcast training, I learned a heap of different training methods and different philosophies that I've been able to bring into my life that were never present in football. So when I look at that on a piece of paper or otherwise, I just think win, 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 win. And in brackets, loss didn't make the Olympics, big deal, who cares? Who gives a shit? Like it just doesn't matter. And it, it, people just delight, weak people delight in telling you no. You know, The first book I ever wrote, people said, no, can't do it. What do you mean I can't do it? You can't write a book. You'll have to have someone ghost write that for you. What? I can write a book. No, you can't. All right, well, watch me write a book. Bang, it's a bestseller. It's got nothing to do with being a bestseller or making money out of it. It's got to do with you having the strength and the conviction to just follow your passion. Just do what the hell it is that you want to do. And and again, to use writing as an example, I don't write for anyone bar myself. If If I write something, I've got probably about 70,000 words on my phone as we speak for my latest book. It's going to get published or it's not. But I didn't write it for that purpose. I wrote it because there's a story I wanted to tell, something that I wanted to explore, and it's for me. And if I want it to be for anyone else, you or otherwise, then I can share it. It'd be lovely if it was published. It'd be lovely if it was published and it did really, really well. But first and foremost... I have to do it for me so i think you can you can do that in a selfish way or you can be generous about it and i'll always choose to be generous
1: how did you get the courage to do this stuff uh, i well, you know
0: you know the answer to that I'm, I'm going to interrupt you you know the answer to that the answer to that is i'm well aware that this is it mm. I'm sorry. I I don't know if you're religious. I don't know if your audience is religious. I don't know if they believe in reincarnation or, or whatnot. But I'm I'm sorry. I I I don't. I don't see that. I don't believe that. And so I see myself passing. God knows when. There you go. That was a (laughs) bit of a strange thing to say, wasn't it? You're going to pass and that is going to be it, you know, <laughs> just a, a, a poor choice of words because I, I don't believe in God. I don't. The God is in all, in all of us. The Spirit is in all of us. Like Who we are as a collective is, is what counts. So I just have to make the most out of every single day. And that just sounds so incredibly cliched. And again, I just need to make the point that I do not wake up and go into some sort of zen-like pose and then go to a board and write down 50 things that I'm going to achieve and then you know, do two laps of the block uh, chanting and, and, and waving you know, some sort of incense about my body. Like it just, It's just not like that. You know, Some days I wake up, I don't want to get out of bed. Some days I wake up, I haven't slept or I'm grumpy or whatever the hell it is, but you're just making a choice to say, you know what, I've got to move forward here. I've got to give. I'm a huge believer in that. I've got to give to other people as much as I can and probably more than I thought. I've got to give and I've got to keep exploring and pushing and seeing what I can eke out of each and every moment because it's just... There's just no time to to waste, no time to waste. Every single thing that I do, I want to take the most I can away from it and that's never financial. It's always around bettering myself in terms of experience, exposure, connection, relationship. I don't think any of this is particularly brilliant on my behalf. (laughs) I just think that I've got the guts to do it and you ask me where do i get the courage from well yeah it's it's just there it's because it's reality it's just reality i had a conversation with a a young lady on instagram as as i often do because i give young people the opportunity to to share their uh, their thoughts and she <laughs> she oh, she won't uh, mind me saying this so i'm not going to mention her name but she writes here Life has been so hard on me lately, it's really fucking me up. So I write back, so fight back and stop the cop out and get back in the game. And she says, I don't know how. And I said, that's bullshit. She says, I literally know, have no clue where I'm supposed to start. And I write back with the basics. Mm, I suppose so. And then I write back, everything is a choice. Yeah, I know. We'll make it. Yeah, I've got to figure it out. You do and you can. Thank you. I appreciate you. So that last line, does she really appreciate me? I'm sure she does. Is anything going to happen? I don't know. I can't do it for her. But it sounds like a bit, of a, a bit of a sook to me. And a sook's fine. But once you've had your sook, it's time to dry your eyes and get on with it.
1: Everyone wants uh, someone to grab them and bring them along with them. Mm. And you did the hard work with the kookaburra, but you did get the tap on the shoulder. Mm. And probably everyone's getting a tap on the shoulder and not realising it, which you alluded to earlier, that sometimes people just say no. There was an opportunity there and you said no. But everyone wants this safety. We want, oh, it's uncertain market, uncertain this, uncertain that, your job market. So everyone's afraid while they're traversing this life. And I'm part of this collective that has all the boxes ticked of what I was told I needed to achieve throughout my life, yet... There's something there that, oh, there's more. There has to be more. <laughs> and as someone that isn't religious either or, or spir- uh, spiritual in the sense mm. of the best out of the universe and as a person, but there's no supernatural stuff going on, according. I don't think. But, yeah, uh, we know what the journey is. We know that it does take courage and to take a step, but there is that point where I don't know where to begin. Is it just about soul searching, to use the wrong term again, it, or is it, do we ask people Right now, let's say, I'll use an example. I'm in a great job in an uncertain time, working with great kids and great staff and everything, but I I believe there's more for me to explore. I need to do something different. I don't want to be a teacher when I'm 50 and I've done only teaching. That would be great. I'm sure I'd help a lot of people on the way and learn a lot. But for me, there's something else there that I want to harness and learn and, and challenge myself and put myself in the deep end again. But then I say... What happens if I lose my job? What happens if I've got a newborn at home? So what happens to her? My partner, I wanted to stay home with the newborn. So if I jump ship and fail, what happens? And there's that position of people in life and um, some people say, suck it up, do two things at once, you know, start something else at night or do a course while you're working, you know, take risks but also keep yourself safe, you know, do that or just suffer and if you have to sell up, pack up you do it and you'll be better off in the long run what is your advice to someone in a situation like me or you know i'm probably better off than most but people that are in that circumstance
0: well you're foolish just to jump without a plan Mm. people again think of me as being this crazy left of center person i'm very well thought out i'm very pragmatic i'm very realistic so yep matt quit your job Go, on, go and do whatever it is that you want to, you, you want to be a, an ice cream manufacturer. Off, off you go. Go and do it. That's ridiculous advice for all the reasons that you outline. Young family, you've got a, a series of obviously financial commitments, etc., etc., that you have to take care of, let alone your partner, blah, blah, blah. It's ridiculous advice. But people, I think, get sucked into this notion that you have to do something extraordinary, something that's next level. And it often comes back to this idea of community and having a philanthropic eye, et cetera, et cetera. You want to make a difference to the community, literally, and again, it's just this same theme during this podcast, which in some respects is boring because we should be past this. It doesn't have to be big. It just has to be sincere. Do something small. And you know, I have people knock on my door and send me emails all the time. I want to start this. I want to do that. I want to... That's fine. But what starting point, what commitment have you put in now? Oh, no, I only want to do it if I get the kudos. And like, well, then you're yeah. an idiot. What are you talking about? You're not all for the community. You're all for yourself. You know, just something super small. At the end of this street where I live in Newport, western suburbs of Melbourne, there's a fairy tree. I've contributed probably five or six things to the fairy tree. Does that make me a a superhuman? No, it doesn't. But I've just had a few little things lying around the house that were gathering dust, which the local kids can delight in because I can put them down at the fairy tree and build up a little library of toys, if you like, that, believe it or not, remain there and the kids love. To me, that's giving something to the community. There was no money involved. No one knows about it apart from people now listening to this podcast. There's no big deal about it. It's just your philosophy of wanting just to give something to the community, which extends to, again, as clichéd and as silly as it sounds, helping a little old lady across the road, not being an asshole when you park so that someone else can't park next to you, you know, taking your time around the supermarket with your trolley so you don't bowl someone over. These are all just such simple things that we could be doing uh, that just don't deserve you, you do not deserve to get a pat on the back for any of those things but you just deserve to have the the knowledge within yourself that you've just been doing the right thing you've been thinking about other people caring enough about the world around you if you go next level whatever that may be great the next level after that fantastic there's always a next level but if you can't get in on the ground floor don't pretend that you're going to be doing well at you know, the 10th or the 20th floor, if you can't just do basic things for the community, don't think that you're going to grandstand because it, it ain't going to work for you. And in the world that we live in, with so much electronic nonsense and whatnot, it could be as simple as you wanting to make a comment on your social media or, for that matter, some sort of platform that's negative and all of a sudden saying, you know what, I'm not going to do that. Gonna, not going to invest in that. I'd rather say something positive to someone something, you know, about what they're doing, uh, something that they're achieving. So, you know, it's just such simple stuff. It really is. And there are a lot of people doing a lot of good things, but unfortunately, there's also a, a great percentage of people just taking and they're going to learn the hard way. I really believe that. I believe sooner or later in life, just you get kicked in the ass. And some, for some people, it's going to really, really sting. It really is. And you being a teacher and your school that you work at and the fact that I've worked there many times, you see it in young people too all the time. The kids who are average. And all of a sudden, they get a kick in the ass and over the course of a summer, they turn it all around possibly becoming who they should have been in the first place. We're all on a different, slightly different journey, aren't we? But hopefully heading towards the same sort of direction. And I'm I'm yet to meet a person, again, who doesn't get it. We just choose to self-sabotage and poison ourselves. You know, great relationships, I mean really great relationships and ability to communicate well, both within yourself and the world around you, are worth more than anything else. You want to be rich, you'll, you'll find wealth that way, fiscally. You want fame and fortune in, in that regard, you know, notoriety, you'll find it in that way because your friends will be like, you know what, this is the coolest guy on earth. You know, you, you just, you cannot go wrong with great relationships and ability to communicate. You know, you, you want a, a better house, a better this, a better that. Get those areas better and those other things will follow you know, and or look at the house that you're in and realize you probably don't need half of what you 've got. I can honestly say i'm I'm looking at my little lounge room here now, and in the future, I think I'll end up living in a house that's as big as this lounge room because because what do i need mm. what 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 am I wanting for in there I'd much rather go traveling or off to a festival or you know, as you mentioned earlier, whitewater rafting, hopefully no, uh no waterfall to, f- to tip over, but I'd rather be doing all these sorts of things than sitting in a house that just is empty. You know mm. I want to be out and about. I mean today, again as we record, it's a stunning day. You know we've gone into lockdown, okay? That's shitty, but the last I looked, I'll, I'll double check. I'll just make sure I'm not talking out of school, but one of the first things I did was look and look at the weather. 19, 20, 25, 28, 28. Not really a cloud in the sky for the next five days. So totally out of my control. I'm not a member for parliament. I have no say. I don't want anyone getting sick, not you, not any of your audience. I want everyone to be healthy and well. It's going to be sunny. I live close to the Newport Athletics track. Let's access that. I can still eat well. I can sleep better. Need to work on my sleep, staying up too late, doing all sorts of things. Uh, I can spend time on my riding, I can enjoy even more time with my my dog who's lying behind me right now who I just fucking love. I love that dog more than you could possibly imagine. I love that dog. I, I love my life. Like I'm really, really fortunate to have this life, really fortunate. For better or worse, I'm very, very fortunate. And it's only because of this podcast that I'm voicing that because nine out of ten times you just see me living it and I think that's pretty damn good.
1: Usually I ask for a moment of clarity but that sounds like one right there <laughs> to, to end the podcast. Uh, Glenn, is there anything else you wanted to touch on?
0: No. Look, I'm assuming you're not going to edit this last little bit out that you, we've just shared and, and that question you've just asked. Uh, I'd get, I just probably want your audience to know that I get asked to do podcasts all the time and I do find a lot of them boring why because they're the same concepts shared in a million different ways when the reality is we're all screwing up we're all trying we're all fumbling and bubbling our way through this life on any given day if anyone who's listening to this really really wants some insight give me a call (laughs) Send me a message, ask me a direct question in terms of something that's going to make a difference in your life. Don't rely on a mat or whoever it may be to try and facilitate something that's – it will never be as personal as someone taking that moment to say, you know what, I'll reach out myself. And if somebody doesn't reach back out, that's a reflection on them, not you. I can honestly say there's never been a single person who's reached out to me Ever, whom I've turned away, regardless of what the question is, regardless of what they need, etc., etc. So this podcast is a starting point, but if people are genuine, just reach out, and if you really, really need something, come and knock on the door, because that's the way in which I feel I've been able to really live the best life that that I that I could potentially lead or or possibly lead by just giving, just giving to other people. So, yes, this podcast is a gift on some levels, but the truth is the real gift is if you use this as a springboard to Mm -hmm. something else, even back to yourself. You've got as much to give as I do. I just hope that when you give, I give, whoever we're giving it to, they then turn around and give. And as I said, and again, we'll, we'll finish on this, it just all sounds so trite and that's the problem we just have to say to ourselves you know what it's not trite it's just reality and sometimes reality's boring and that's what i meant about the podcast reference that you know <laughs> the facts are sometimes boring mm. you know i could have sat here for an hour and told all sorts of ridiculous wild stories but that's not really getting to the point of it either The point of it is, you know, if you have those relationships and you you have great communication, you're going to be fine and it starts and ends with you. So thanks for having me.
1: No, thank you. Thank you so much. I've really appreciated it and, and loved it and love what you do. Thank you. For those that are wanting to reach out, where can they do that?
0: Well, the only place they can do that is via Instagram. You'll see my Instagram account, follow me, don't follow me. I just couldn't care less about that but you'll be able to watch a video, uh, which I think sums the whole thing up. would be nice if you left a comment if it so interests you to do so and shoot me a direct message if you want to carry on and, and have a conversation uh, with me about anything or anything. Uh, you're more than welcome to do so. Uh, obviously, I've got a website and whatnot. You might want to peruse that at some stage. And Even better, you see me out on the street, yell out, say hello, have a conversation. Why not? I, I mightn't always have 20 minutes and what not. Might only have a, a couple of minutes, but it's a couple of minutes well spent. Uh, I'm currently driving a 1974 BMW 2002 called Matilda. So don't look out for the FC Holden called Coco. It'll be a, lot, a, a very difficult car to find now. Uh, you'll have to look out for the little white BMW, BMW, BMW 2002. That's what I've got. So beep your horn in traffic and say hello. Thank you, Glenn. Pleasure.
1: If you enjoyed the conversation today, please subscribe, share with your friends and family and leave a review. If you would like to contact me, provide feedback or have access to someone you believe could be a great guest on the podcast, you can contact me on Instagram or Facebook at Moments of Clarity Podcast or on Twitter at Barney MOC. You can also email me on Moments of Clarity Podcast at gmail.com. My name is Barney and thank you for joining me on Moments of Clarity.